Hello, and welcome to Edna Revolutionary Radio with your host, Chris Reese, and your co-host, Helen Hillix. Today's show is going to be a call-in show, and I'll tell you a little bit about it later. Uh, it's about being an inner revolutionary. But to start with, I'm going to turn it over to Chris for inner revolutionary news. Hi, Chris. Hi, Helen. Thanks so much. It's great to be here today. We've got a lot of news as usual, and it's uh, it's hard it's hard to sort out what's good and what's bad and what. Uh, what you don't want to scream about and and what you can just go, okay, 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 I can live with that for now. So let's start with some of the good stuff that comes on the heels of some bad stuff from our perspective. Um, President Trump has decided to not support the clean power plan. And this is a significant setback for both the United States and the world. The clean power plan came out of an agreement in Paris Um, that President Obama had agreed to that was primarily driven by both the American government and the Chinese, who are the biggest polluters, to set standards with regards to how much carbon we would be reducing into the atmosphere. And a number of other countries signed on. So with the United States backing out of the commitment it leaves the rest of the world to make a decision about whether or not they will continue with the commitments that may made. However, here in the United States, we have some states like California, New York, have already said that they are going to continue with the goals that they established to support the clean power plan. And then we also have industry. In Apple Insider, which is Apple News, Apple, Google, and Microsoft have all stated that they would keep their pledges to combat climate change. So that's good news, coming on the heels of bad news. And I'm going to try to refrain from labeling anything as good or bad. I would just like to use this time today where I share with you some news articles to remind us all that there is always another perspective. So often in the past, when I see that a company like Apple has done something, I immediately go, oh, Apple, good, good. I have an Apple phone. Apple's really cool. Apple has great products. And and I don't say this to disparage Apple, but I'm using it to illustrate for you how quickly my mind will wrap around the idea that a company is good or bad. And so let's say that Apple is good in my mind. And I see this article about Apple supporting um, the agreement for the uh, clean power plan. And I say, see, there's more evidence that Apple is good. But then I dig a little deeper and I look at some of the other news this week and some really disappointing news from the perspective of individual privacy is that Congress has overturned a law that was going to require the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to strictly regulate what certain internet service providers could do with our private information that um, they collect. And you know, most of us probably are aware that our information is being tracked at all times. And These internet provider companies that we may label as good because they bring us our cool gadgets are also some of these same companies that will lobby hard to make sure that they get access to our personal information and they can resell it at their heart's desire. And so I say that just for us all to illustrate there is no, there is not necessarily a good or bad about anything, about any action. There is a perspective and we each have to keep challenging ourselves to push through the layers of news 
and find sources that are actually uh, more neutral. I saw a poll right after the the election that compared the Washington Post, which I was a frequent consumer of, the New York Times, which I was also a frequent consumer of, and USA Today. And it stated that USA Today had the most neutral news. Again, this is an indication of my preference. In the past, I never would have considered USA Today to be a legitimate source of news. But I saw that I was stuck in that um, tunnel vision syndrome where I was only reading news that reflected back to me my same perspective. So I was not getting a broad um, perspective on what was happening in the world. So I bring that I bring that to all of our attention when we're looking at what's happening in the news. Likewise, we've had a lot of news about the nomination for Supreme Court Judge Gorsuch. And I followed some of the hearings live. I happened to be driving in my car um, for a number of hours and was able to listen to it. And it was very interesting to later on hear how the news was spinning it, depending upon which news channel I listened to. When I listened to him, he sounded pretty moderate. And I was surprised because I was all geared up to be against Gorsuch. And one thing that really blew my mind that I didn't realize is that there's an organization, a nonprofit called the Federalist Society, that President Trump actually um, asked to help his administration find judges, both on a national and local level, for current vacancies and upcoming vacancies. And I thought, okay, well, the Federalist Society, now what is that? That doesn't sound very good. That sounds to me bad, bad, bad. In my liberal mind, that's bad, bad, bad. So I looked up the Federalist Society, and I found out that Harvard Law School, Yale Law School, you know, these law schools that I don't consider to be particularly conservative or liberal um, have chapters. Many law schools across the country have chapters. Many Supreme Court justices and other um key judges on the bench around the country are members of the Federal Society, and it is funded by tech companies as well as very conservative companies who want to keep government regulation out of their business. So again, I'm back to, oh, those tech companies aren't always my friend, although I love some of the gadgets that they put out. And I keep saying it that way, and I, I I can't stress this enough. I don't have anything against the tech companies. I just am saying that when we listen to news, we have to be very careful to make sure that we're that we're taking in all the information. Back to Gorsuch, I saw over and over that the Democrats kept bringing up that they were going to filibuster Gorsuch because of what happened to the Democrat candidate that President Obama had put forth, that the Republicans would not even consider. So here we have one side of government not willing to take action because they saw that there was an upcoming opportunity to deny the right for that candidate to be brought forth because they thought it likely that the um, Obama administration would change and they wanted to wait to see if their candidate got in office. And now on the flip side, the Republicans are doing the same thing. So we do not have an inner revolution. We have stalemate. We have war. We have a lack of uh, the meeting of minds of people with good intent. So whether or not you're pro-Gorsuch or not pro-Gorsuch, as with any other issue, I think we really have to challenge ourselves to dig down and look at the facts before we come to a conclusion. Last but not least, there was a fascinating uh, article and a live, uh, a live audio on April 28th in the National Public Radio about the activist Micah White. Micah was one of the people that started the Occupy Wall Street movement. And funny enough, 
he has gone through that whole process and that Occupy movement spread to 82 countries. Millions and millions of people around the world were in the streets protesting and wanting to make their voices heard. And his conclusion is that it didn't work. Uh, activists felt good. We felt like we were taking action. I myself have been in a few street protests just this year since the administration changed hands. But his perspective was that it really didn't lead to any sustainable change. And his view is that contemporary activism has actually lowered our horizon of possibility. That contemporary activists are seeking now more to reform than to actually have a revolution. What would that revolution look like? Well, I'm just telling you some of the information I gathered from Michael Weiss, um, Michael Weiss' interview, and you can listen to your, you can listen to it for yourself. His own personal uh, journey has taken him to a very small town in Oregon, where he's run for a local city council. And when I say small town, I mean small town, less than 400 people. And his view is that you have to take back local power at the city council level and do that worldwide, and then you can really affect change. And his view is that you should bring in the people who live in the area prior to any city council decision and say, what's on your mind? What's bothering you? What should we do about it? Let's have debate. Let's hear from all sides. And let's take that information and let's use that when we're voting on issues before our community at, say, for example, a city council meeting. He calls them people's associations meetings, which sound good to me. And what's very interesting about about Micah's story is that he's not pro-Democrat. He's not anti-Trump. He looks at all of it from the perspective of social change. And he's saying, what can we do? What can we do to affect some real social change where the average person's needs really are being met in a better way? So with that, I'll leave you with actually more to think about than any conclusions in terms of what's right or wrong. But that's what we do here at Interrevolutionary Radio. You know, we challenge ourselves to ask questions, to think, and to get outside of traditional um, ideology and to review and see what can happen if we come together as people and try to find what's for the highest good of all. That's very interesting. And it sounds like Micah is aligned with that idea that, you know, to try to stay neutral and find what is for the highest good of all rather than just making a show of resistance. And that is interrevolutionary. So that's very cool. So I would like to now talk about today's show. One, two, three. What are we fighting for? Are you wondering if resistance and fighting are the solution? Is there a nagging voice in the back of your mind challenging you to not polarize? We cannot fight hate with hate, and we cannot capitulate and recede into the background. How do we find our voice and join forces for real change to create oneness, accountability, and mutual support? The Handbook for the Inner Revolution provides guidance. Join us today. And listen in as the innerrevolution.org members share from the handbook and relate their own experiences in overcoming our tendencies to fight and separate. Let's move into more harmony and forward movement for the highest good of all. And now take it away, Chris. Thank you so much, Helen. We are reading from the Handbook for the Inner Revolution by Beth Green. It's available on Amazon. It's also available as a free download from our website, which is www.theinnerrevolution.org. 
We're going to be starting today with a preface. The preface asks the question, could you be an inner revolutionary? The way we do a book study um, as a group, the inner revolution, we read part of the book and then we pause where we feel guided and we stop and we just talk about it. So right now we have Helen and I together and we'll start the process. And I expect that we'll have some other people calling in who will also be joining the conversation and sharing their perspective. And we welcome the folks who call in to also read from the book as well, if they have the book handy. So starting now, preface, could you be an inner revolutionary? When you were a child, did you worry about other people's feelings or feel bad when you saw someone being hurt physically or emotionally? Did you feel sad at the thought of abandoned dogs at an animal shelter? Did you wince when you saw your parents being unkind to each other or little kids ganging up on others? Did you feel shocked when you saw extreme poverty or any kind of cruelty? Did you feel outrage or anguish over obvious injustice? Did that pain ever go away? For some of us, the pain got buried as we struggled to survive in a tough world. For some of us, the pain only deepened as we learned of more and more injustices in our land and our world. And for some of us, the pain has only just reawakened. But if that pain is still in you, if you feel anguish not only because of the hurts inflicted on you, but also because of the pain you have inflicted on others, you may very well be an inner revolutionary. What's an inner revolutionary? Lots of people are angry and hurt, and some are bravely fighting for a better world. These individuals may be revolutionaries, and we honor them for the sacrifices they make to bring awareness and change. But inner revolutionaries have a particular part to play. Our fight is not against any particular injustice, individual, or group, although we are fighting against all injustice. Our fight is for an inner revolution, a change of heart and hand, a change in the very way human beings see and treat ourselves, one another, and our world. An inner revolution is a revolution in our relationships. It encompasses social, political, economic, and spiritual transformation. It is based on a shift from a narrow, ego-based view of the world, it's all about me or mine, to an ethic based on oneness, accountability, and mutual support. It calls us to awareness whenever we exhibit self-centeredness, lack of empathy, or the willingness to look the other way for our own advantage or just to play it safe. It demands that we try to understand all perspective and oppose policies, not people. It reaches its hand out to everyone, large or small, rich or poor, male, female, or other, powerful or powerless. It requires that we confront not only ourselves, but others. And it exposes the reality that we are all one and that we are all suffering from a world based on ego and competition. I, I'd like to say something here. As you were reading about the people who are revolutionaries and we honor them for their sacrifices, but that an inner revolutionary is not fighting against anything, but is fighting against all injustice, but that it's fighting for an inner revolution, a change of heart and hand, a change in the way human beings see and treat ourselves, one another in our world. I, even though I've read that numerous times, I am so touched by it. And 
for some reason, it reminded me of our upcoming event, Revolutionizing the Abortion Conversation. And next week, our show is hosting, or the the guest is someone who is a pro-feminism, pro-life advocate. And I really want to challenge myself to be an inner revolutionary in, in that conversation because I know I'm going to have some differing views from that person, but I really want to feel myself shifting into being an inner revolutionary that is willing to just ask the questions and, and fight for oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And I, I, this, the reading today is going to help me do that. So I really appreciate this conversation and this reminder of that, that we have to let go of our habitual ways of thinking, which is exactly what you were talking about in the news. So thank you, Chris. Well, thank you. And thank you, Beth, for writing the book. It's really, it's, I know it's rocked my world. I, I felt like it took me so long to be able to speak up and actually acknowledge when I felt that something wasn't just because I was so used to always being a people pleaser and wanting to say whatever I had to do to get along with people and to curry favor with them. So I found a voice somewhere in my later adult life. And then I realized I had to stop being so strident and polarizing. <laughs> so it's, it's been a journey and I feel good about where I'm at now. I feel good about what, just exactly what you were saying, Helen you know, there's still a part of me that wants to convince everyone on quote unquote, the other side to agree with my view. And there's a part of me that feels very threatened and scared when other people have views that feel to me to be so threatening to what I think is important in life. And yet if I won't hear them and if they won't hear me, we don't ever have a chance to see if we could come to some kind of you know, harmonious coexistence. Okay, so I'll keep reading. Some telltale signs that you might be an inner revolutionary. An inner revolutionary starts with their heart. Somehow you care. Care about other people, care about other species, care about the earth. And you care enough that you are willing to examine yourself and your world with ruthless self-honesty. And you are willing to speak out, no matter the risks. You don't base your thoughts or actions on being popular, or at least you won't let yourself be scared off even when you have to stand alone. And you are not shocked by resistance to the message because you know that resistance is to be expected. And of course there will be resistance. A revolution turns the world upside down, both within and without, and no revolution happens without a struggle. The inner revolution is no exception. From the family, to the gang, to the community, to the business enterprise, to the society, to the planet, individuals and collectives tend to be stuck in traditions, beliefs, and power relations that defy our highest good, but often confer advantage to some, but not all. Political connections, race, religion, nationality, social class, disability and ability, education, money, all these factors can be used to skew the distribution of those advantages. And even though inequality among humans has been proven to be bad for our physical, mental, and economic health, some of us can't see past our immediate self-interest to realize 
that we would all be better off in a world where everyone had enough and all felt included. Let's take a quick look at this one point. In a world where some have too much and others too little, we all suffer. On one side of the spectrum are those with too much. They may, they may feel guilty for the difference between their lot and the lot of others, or they may become disconnected from reality, blinding themselves to other suffering. They may rationalize their advantages, fight to keep their money in position or sell their souls for power, but none of this makes them well. They're often jaded and bored and may use substances such as drugs or alcohol to distract themselves from feeling empty, selfish, or useless. Or they may feel stressed and use substances to deal with the anxiety of having to compete to stay where they are. They see those beneath them in a non-empathetic, dehumanizing way, and they often fear the hordes of have-nots. They can feel alienated from the majority of humanity. On a deep level, they don't feel safe. On the other side of the spectrum, the disenfranchised may be depressed, frustrated, angry, stressed, overworked, or deprived of what they really need to survive and thrive. They may feel resigned, or they may be resentful. And if they feel resentful, they may try to consciously or unconsciously sabotage those who have power and control. They may yearn for change, yet can't manage it because they may not have access to the levers of power to turn the situation around. They may be jealous and try to climb the same ladder that is keeping them down. Or they may want to tear that ladder down, but are too caught up in anger and polarization to find allies to do it. Or they may succeed in toppling people above them, but can't succeed in avoiding the recreation of the same power relations they oppose. They may also use substances to keep going through very difficult circumstances or to suppress their frustration and rage. Inner revolutionaries know that our system doesn't work, and it can't, because the current social and economic system isn't based on the recognition of our oneness. It assumes our separation. And what is the result? There is too much inequality. There are too many rationalizations. There are too many divisions, too much prejudice, too much adherence to mindless traditions, whether they are habitual ways of thinking about gender, race, spiritual education, or even the goals of life. And there is not enough caring. Sensing this, inner revolutionaries are willing to change everything to co-create a better world. I thought one of the things that's very interesting about this review is that both people who feel like they're on top will use substances and... Um, Processes. Processes to distract themselves from their bad feelings, as well as those who feel disenfranchised. Absolutely. That's a very interesting point. We do have a caller, Rose from Ramona. Hello. Hello. Hello, Rose. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that I so appreciate the way Beth breaks this down because you know, on my own accord, I can't really reach across some of the barriers that I have to understanding someone. And I really liked what Chris was saying at the beginning of the call when she was reading the news and, you know, breaking some of the barriers down of the way she thought conservatives were or, or papers were or different, different things. And I need this help. Um, you know, I do want to care, uh, but it's overwhelming sometimes. And 
um, I do have a narrow view. This is helping me expand that. Um, Good. Good. You know, it also made me remember that um, in in my past, I I am getting more in touch with things and the you know how people are more than the small way I look at them and such like that. But um, I remember not too long ago, I I used to this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I used to dream for a disaster. We've had plenty of disasters, you know, in these recent years, but. The reason I did think that way is because I wanted people to come together, and I know how much they do come together, and and things get more simply we care when there's a disaster. We have an earthquake or a flood, and all I have to do is go, you know, help as best I can, and I don't have to figure out who needs it. It's all very clear and simple. Kind of crazy. And we huh? don't have to we don't have to figure out who's a Republican and who's a Democrat or pro choice or pro life in a time like that. It helps us remember our oneness. I th- I think that's a very good point. And you know, nine eleven was like that in a way. It, right. But but it didn't really do that. I mean it united us in the United States, but it made us separate from those, you know, overseas in some ways. So you know, that doesn't always work the way we think it will, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, right. the well, simplicity we, we, of it. Some, we see that huh? here in Southern California when we have a fire. I yeah. think that's what what we feel most acutely, that all of a sudden it's just, wow, how can I help? Exactly. Rose, yes. Rose, are you in a position to read? Would you like to read? Um, I could. I don't know what page you were on. That's <laughs> I wasn't we are on Roman numeral 18. Roman numeral 18. Um, there's my book. You can be our guest. You have a guest <laughs> reader today. <laughs> Rose Evans from Ramona, California. <laughs> Uh, so as rev- in a revolutionaries, we have an alternative view. Is that where you were? We're on, um, hmm. no, it's an inner revolutionary learns to question everything. Hmm. Well, maybe I'm not your gal. Okay. okay. I'll keep reading. <laughs> I don't want to hold things Helen, up. That's okay. Helen, are you in a position to read? Yes, I am. I'm sorry. It's uh, the page before it's she misled you. I was on. Oh, yes, I was yeah. on the wrong page. Sorry, Rose. It, oh. Do you want to? Okay, I'm sorry, Rose. It's um, seventeen. And I'll go ahead and read. Learns to question. Yes, everything? go right ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The assumptions, myths, and rationalizations we use to keep the old society in place. Many of us were trained with edicts such as don't upset your mother or don't question religion or you can't fight City Hall or that's just the way it is. We were told if you don't do what you're told, you won't succeed in school. If you don't look a certain way or earn a good living, you won't find somebody. Be good and you'll get a piece of candy. If you don't conform, you'll have no friends. Throughout our lives, we've been taught how to work within the system or best to reform it, or at best to reform it. 
Is it surprising then that the interrevolutionaries will often find themselves in the minority? We get it from all sides. Some think we're un- unrealistic because we refuse to accept that this is human nature. Some are angry at us because we're not angry enough at the enemy, and we look like sellouts. Some think we're too far-reaching, naive, or just crazy. Some don't think about us at all or feel uncomfortable in our presence because we call on them to examine themselves as well as their opponents. But when you are an interrevolutionary, you care more about the cause, more about your more about the cause than about your success, your popularity, or your place in history. Can we you stop, stop yourself. there? Sure. I, I I was on mute, but I wanted to say something about this whole part. You know, is really so important. I think about how we have all been taught to conform. And even if we think we've been taught to resist authority and so forth, it's it's more along the lines of how do we reform it? You know, there are so few of us that were brought up to really look at ourselves and be inter-revolutionaries. And I am that, you know, along with what, what is being said here. You know, you can't fight City Hall. Don't, don't upset your mother, whatever. Even though my parents were very liberal and progressive and didn't, talk in those ways, particularly about, you know, don't, you know, you have to conform and all that. Um, but, but there was still that underlying message that you better conform. And I know that I personally resisted Beth's message to be an activist for literally decades. I did not believe it would be effective. I did not want people to dislike me. You know, I, I didn't believe it could happen. And it's only been so recently that I have been willing to be neutral enough to just take a look at what many, many people are saying nowadays. That guy, is that Micah White? Was that the guy you were talking about, Chris, that, you know, the, the Occupy Wall Street? It's like, stop with the marches. You know, we have to have a revolution. We have to start really changing everything. We have to, and it has to start with us changing ourselves on the inside so that we relate differently. But I did not like that message, you know, and it's still not popular. People are still terrified of of rocking the boat and really taking a look at the fact that we need to change everything from from the, the kind of you know capitalism that we have, that we, we really need a society that's much more socialistic and cares about everybody. And it's like, ooh, don't even mention that. Don't even mention <laughs> yeah. that. So it, it, this just, I don't know. And this whole thing about, you know, some are angry at us because we're not angry. My daughter's constantly saying, you know, hell no, I'm not going to just tr- try to listen to Trump. I hate him. He's an, you know, I can't say it on the radio. Um but anyway, you know, and she totally thinks that I'm a sellout sometimes because of that. And it's just, we, we have to face a lot to be inter-revolutionaries and not to, not to mention our own resistance. So no wonder this is not such a popular movement yet. And yet, there are so many people who are joining us who really do care and and want to make a difference and now we've got two people on hold um so i think we need to jump over to erica in escondido welcome erica 
Hey, hi, Chris, and hi, Helen. Um, this is such a... I'm so glad you're talking about the handbook today because I, I don't think I really realized that I didn't know how to think independently of all of the paradigms I grew up with and everything I was told to think in school. So given a different umbrella and given a different pair of glasses, I, I'm still left, uh, just as you were saying about your daughter, just being pretty reactive about what's going on currently, but at the same time questioning myself. I'm willing to pause and take that breath and say, okay, what can I do differently? How can I feel differently? What action can I take? And and the ways that I'm able to do that really boil down to my own interpersonal relationships, not only with myself but with the others um, that I'm connected to every day. So... Um, you sound like an interrevolutionary, Erica. <laughs> it's rubbing off. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> I, I just feel some uh, relaxation around the trust that as more and more people will come on board because I'll tell you I can't, I can't be around people when their heads are constantly spinning from what's going on, you know, in the news and in the government. So, um I need a I need a different harbor to be in, and this is certainly providing it for me. You know, speaking of uh, <laughs> head spinning, <laughs> it reminds me of The Exorcist, of course. Um, yes, but um, and that we need a different harbor to be in. You know, one of the things that Beth has uh, used lately as a metaphor for what we're doing is a, a tunnel and digging a tunnel, and that we have to be underground. We have to think of ourselves as underground in order to provide that safe haven and that place that can be cohesive where we can inch forward digging an inch at a time, not knowing where we're headed and not knowing what the, you know, what the light is going to look like at the other end of the tunnel if we're ever going to reach light at the other end of the tunnel, and that allows us to differentiate not separate, but differentiate from the insanity in the world uh, above us, so to speak. And I, I think that's something all of us are speaking about, you know, is our own reactivity and that we so need the support, the mutual support of feeling uh, the cohesiveness of our passion and our dedication to try to co-create an inner revolution. So thank you very much for your call, Erica. And for and talking, how, how, I, I just want to add one thing while Erica's still on the line. I, you know, we've given up putting our own feeling of security first by making this shift, and we've made we've made um, a commitment to say, I can hear what other people have to say, and I'm not going to immediately melt, and that's a big change. You know, that's a really big internal shift for an interrevolutionary, uh, for the interrevolutionary process to listen to other people without feeling like it threatens our very survival. 
Absolutely. And I also wanted to comment, I appreciate you sharing your process, Erica, that, you know, acknowledging that immediate reactivity, but then taking a pause and taking a breath, because we're not out of reality here. We don't expect that people, including ourselves, are going to shift out of that polarization paradigm very easily. You know, we realize it's going to take a, a process and, and that we're challenged to do it, but we can still claim to be interrevolutionaries if we are taking on the, the uh, challenge to become more neutral and to align more with oneness, accountability, and mutual support, even if we struggle with it every single day. Mm, thank you. And also to align more of a vision of what could be rather than what was or what is in the moment. Right. Yes. Very good point. We have to have something to work toward, not just something to work against. Yes. So thank you. Thank you very much, Erica. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I can read or, or I can come back to read. I know you have another caller, so I can just pop off. Okay, and be, you know, feel free to pop back on. But we'll take Amy next from San Diego. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. You both are are doing a wonderful job, Chris and Helen. Um, I think I follow Erica because I'm very reactive. And I always thought that that was, of course, the way to respond to whatever it might be. And this work has allowed me the opportunity to see the box that I'm in and have tools to see where my opinions and perspectives and beliefs and all of that are getting in the way of hearing other people. And uh, I think, as Erica said, it's more relaxing, too, not to be so easily upset, although I struggle with that, as you mentioned, on a daily basis. And in terms of uh, people not being in the inner revolution, not being, quote, unquote, upset enough about what's going on in the world, I've seen a a bumper sticker that says, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention to what's going on in the world. And I remember thinking, that's not helpful, to be at least to stay stuck in being outraged. Right. So I appreciate the tools that are available here to change that to... How can we um, interact pe- with people that you've said, as you say, in a way that's from accountability, mutual support, and oneness? And what can we learn from other people that we tend to put down or that I tend to put down? What can I learn from how am I like they are? Right. That's a very good point. I, I really appreciate what you were saying, Amy, about that we just consider outrage as a natural outcome and this feels like a segue that I want to remind our listeners that the the uh, handbook for the inner revolution is a tiny little book it's a hundred pages or something like that and it's if you want to get more in depth with the concepts that are in the handbook for the inner revolution, please refer to Living with Reality, which is a 688-page book that Beth wrote prior that goes much more in-depth into these concepts. And and one of those that reminded me of the book was, uh, well, of course you feel upset. Your boss did blah, blah, blah. Or, of course you were angry. Your husband did blah, blah, blah. And that reminded me of what you were saying, Amy, you know, that I just thought, of course I'm 
reactive because of blah, 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 which really is blaming something external for our internal state. And this is part of the inner revolution because it's so important that we break that habit of justifying our outrage or our reactivity by looking at somebody else or something else as the stimulus for our reactions. You know, I had a a new client recently who was saying to their son, you know, of course I yell at you because you're not listening. (laughs) You know, and it's like we're, we're just, this is just so common, isn't it? That we blame everybody else for our own reactions. And I wanted to also say, and it is because of that, because it's just societally accepted we have to assume that we are going to be momentarily outraged at times. You know, we're not the Dalai Lama yet. <laughs> and, and I don't know even if the Dalai Lama is momentarily outraged by certain things. But we can move through that. Whether we can ever get beyond it completely, I don't know. But we can move quickly through it. And that was kind of what Erica was saying, that uh, we need to be able to move through it so that we can get to that neutral place where we can listen for guidance, where we can look for the oneness. Um, Chris, did you have something? And we have another caller on hold. um, Right, I I saw that. that. Okay. Amy, thank you. You're welcome. You know, I, I heard a long time ago that there is no such thing as justifiable um, self-righteous indignation. And here I am 55 and I heard it a long time ago and I've had to unlearn the idea that there's justifiable self-righteous indignation. And, um, that was mother's milk to me. Oh, that your mom would say that to you. (laughs) Oh my, no, the, the justifiable self-righteous indignation was what I was nursed on. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what a way to, um, alienate everyone around me. (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> and the thing about justifiable self, self-righteous indignation is that it knows no bounds. Like if I start with going, well, I, you know, I'm perfectly justified with having this indignation about them. And let's say them is a different political party. And I get into that habit. Then guess what? When my husband does something I don't agree with, then I'm already in that habit and I'm in that groove and I'm in that mode of, you know, I have indignation about that and so you know certainly there are times where we have to put our hand out and say stop or even take you know more assertive action when something is wrong but but we all know that feeling in our gut when it's self-righteous indignation and it sucks it doesn't feel good it drains our chi and it doesn't lead to any positive outcome so I'm glad that was brought up today and we've got our next caller on it's Todd Benton hi there you two Hi, Todd. Hi, Todd. Welcome. Thanks. This is a great conversation, and there's gone so many different topics, so I'm not sure exactly what to say. Do you want me to read? or? <laughs> sure. Sure, that's okay. a great idea, if we can figure out where we were. <laughs> I think, I think, I think we're at the bottom of Are seven. we on page 17 still? Yeah, we're at the very bottom after the first sentence of the last paragraph. Okay, so you stop yourself from... Yes. Okay. You stop yourself from focusing on results, including the question of whether or not you're making a difference or enough of a difference to change the world or make the struggle worthwhile. 
In fact, we can't ask, much less answer, the question about our impact because we don't know and may never know what difference we're making for today or the future. Wow. Isn't that the truth? We train ourselves to keep our eyes focused on our work and our tasks before us. We realize that trying to do what will be, quote, successful is a sure sign that we've succumbed to the well-accepted myth that our value is demonstrated by some external result. It's not. Our value is to ourselves and doing what we believe is right. And we have to retrain ourselves to be satisfied with that if nothing else comes. Isn't this a perfect thing for you to read, Todd? (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) It is perfect. In light of what I mean, we were just talking about earlier today. Yes, I, I happen to know Todd very well. He's the co-host for all my shows, and I for his. So this is so perfect. And, you know, you're not the only one, of course, but I just thought, how great that the universe had you read that. <laughs> I know. I totally agree. It's not about the external result, really? <laughs> really? How could that possibly really? be so? <laughs> Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. That's so a really important message, and I, I know I've read that at least once, but, you know, it's taken a while to sink in. Yes, and our world is so results-oriented. You know, get some plastic surgery because you'll like the result. You know, right. wear, this, wear this push-up bra because you'll like the result. I mean, that's those are just silly examples, but it's so prevalent in our society. You know, be nice so you can get that job. Right. I mean, it's just on and on and on. You have to be popular. You have to be popular. You have to be popular. And the inner revolution is not a popular idea yet, and it may never be. But yeah. But just as just as Beth says, you know, we have to retrain ourselves to be satisfied with knowing that we're doing what we believe is right. Yes, and putting in the effort and that having our intention focused on the effort rather than the outcome. Yes, and we who are involved in doing this work know the happiness that it has brought to our lives, even if we kick and scream and resist every step of the way. There is nothing that has brought us a sense of enrichment the same as this work right it also it also challenges us to not become engulfed in social media which is measuring us based on how many likes we get on our facebook page or how often uh something we put out there is retweeted um it may not be liked. You may not get a lot of thumbs up when you take a position that's really supporting the inner revolution. And as Helen and Tada both said, it's how we feel on the inside, really, that gives us that really, um, what's the word, that feeling of being whole and feeling satisfied and nurtured. And if we're only looking for how many likes we get on our Facebook page, it's never going to be enough. You know, because yeah. there there are always more people that could like it that didn't. So true. Absolutely. Yes. So should I read a little bit more? We're still welcoming callers. So if you're listening in, please call in and you may be called to uh, read or 
maybe the next thing that's read will be perfect for you like the last one was for Todd. <laughs> Thank you so much, you two. Thank Thanks, you. Bye. Bye. Yes, Helen, Bye. please read. As interrevolutionaries, we have an alternate view of life. We don't see it as a journey to a particular destination. Rather, life is a journey to an unknown destination. It is a series of transformational moments, moments where we have choices to act with integrity, compassion, self-awareness, and courage, or to excuse, defend, compete, or just play it safe. And that's about all we can control, how we act. Because the truth is that the course of history and even our own lives are not entirely dependent on us, notwithstanding our fantasy that we can control life. We are not magicians. We are just small parts of the collective, which is itself in the process of evolution. Being just a part of a greater whole, we know that we are not in charge. Rather, we co-create with the universe in a subtle dance of intention and allowance. That is true of us all, whether or not we are interrevolutionaries. But how we handle it all, success, failure, rejection, or acclaim, is the hallmark of the interrevolutionary. Our understanding of oneness and our part in it, and the support system we have co-created to keep us clear, humble, and in motion. Whew, that's definitely a mouthful. Yeah. Some of that is is spiritual wisdom for forever. You know, the part that we are in the process of an unknown journey and that we have to learn to enjoy and relax into and maximize the process that we're involved in. But it's it's interrevolutionary in, in how we are applying it to absolutely everything in our political world and so forth. And the idea that we are not just pawns of some cosmic joke and we're not either, you know, if we just align our energy properly, you know, we'll attract millions of dollars to us. We're not on that side either. We are more grounded in the idea that it's a co-creation. It's a subtle dance of intention and allowance. And, you know, we can intend to get somewhere in 15 minutes, but if there's traffic, there is no way in the world we're going to make it. You know, that is allowing for the universe's input at the same time. And this has gone into much more detail, as I was saying earlier, in the Living with Reality book. And that's one of the examples that's given is, you know, you can believe that you have control, but just try to get somewhere faster than you can during traffic. So it's, it's, these are all incredible challenges to, to our ways of thinking. Yes, let's keep reading. Okay, and there are more challenges confronting the inner revolutionary. Oh, goody, goody. We need to be willing to appear foolish in a world where looking smart, cool, and in the know are higher priorities. And we have to be willing to appear foolish because it can certainly look foolish to think that our ideas and passion can stand up to the practices, traditions, and self-interest that are the ethic of our society and our world. We have a caller on hold, and I think I could stop right there. And welcome, Roz. Thank you for joining us. Helen and Chris. 
Hello. Hi. Hey, Roz. Hi. Well, I just kind of dropped into the conversation um, and uh, was uh, listening to the part about uh, really relaxing into the journey of life. Um, I know there was something about that that struck me, and maybe it's because I've been trying to shift my mode of operating to being more about the journey rather than about some place to try to get to in life. And um, it's not as easy as it sounds um, on one hand. But on the other hand, there's something so much more natural about it. Um, and I guess I'm just, just aware of that, and um, I just love what Beth has written about that and you know, how she expands about, on that more in Living with Reality, um, which I've read, and uh, I think it's Platform 8 where it really kind of expands on that whole conversation of how we approach our lives and how we approach operating in the world. So, I don't know, I, just, I guess I just wanted to share that piece and um, just connect to and that. And connect to all of us. Yes, and connect to all of you. And thank you uh, for bringing this yeah. work and just doing the book study. It's awesome. Uh, and thank you so much for calling in. And, you know, I love that. And it just brought up the whole point that it makes it so much easier because you said it. You know, it's hard to live this way. It is a challenge. And, you know, we've got three minutes left. Our engineer just notified me. So I want to make this succinct so that we can talk about next week's um, uh, guest and we can also give Chris some time to summarize if she wants to. So, you know, we need each other. We need help as, as in this handbook. We need those principles to follow and we need each other because we cannot do this alone. And I just, I want to say that to the audience, you know, remember that even though we are taught that independence is the most highly valued characteristic it really is not and there is no such thing as independence in our world we desperately need mutual support and Roz was just uh, helping remind us of that so thank you so much Roz you're welcome thank you both thank you should I go ahead and read about next week's show yes thanks Helen okay Revolutionizing the Abortion Conversation, a conversation with pro-life, new wave feminist, Destiny Herndon de la Rosa, and myself, host Helen Hillix. Aren't you sick of the pain of the polarized conversation in our country about abortion? Do you believe that there is common ground between the two sides? Is it true that most pro-life supporters are not feminists? And is it true that most pro-life supporters truly believe in supporting all life? Are the new wave feminists truly an original idea? Do they promise the hope that the two disparate sides of this issue might be coming toward finding commonalities at last? Are pro-choice women the only group that can be feminists and pro-women's rights? We won't shy away from the tough questions on this show. Join us for what is sure to be a dynamic conversation that might challenge all our perspectives and move us all to a new place on this most painful issue. And it might just help create an inner revolution in some of us. Call in with your questions and share your experiences. And then join us for the April 8th Revolutionizing the Abortion Conversation event online or in person. And you can read more about that at our website as well as the 
subsequent event we're having, No More Divide and Conquer, which is going to be a discussion about how economic issues underlie all of the social issues in our country. And that's going to be May 7th from 10 to 1. Again, you can find out all the specifics online at theinterrevolution.org. Back to you, Chris. Thanks so much, Helen. Thank you to our callers for joining us today. And we hope you enjoyed hearing just a taste of the handbook for the Inner Revolution. Again, it's a free download at www.theinnerrevolution.org. And thank you. We hope you have a lovely afternoon or evening, wherever you are, and join us next week. Thank you so much, everybody. We love you, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.